0: Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey,
1: everyone. Dr. Axe here. Welcome to our health podcast. Today, I'm talking to Todd White, And if you haven't heard me talk about this before, my wife, Chelsea, and I are huge fans of Dry Farm Wine. In fact, we are both big foodies. We are wine lovers. And so the number one wine we consume on a regular basis is called Dry Farm Wines. Todd is the founder or co-founder of this company that, again, we absolutely love. And so today we're going to be talking about wine. We're going to talk about the sugar alcohol, uh, the sugar content in wine. We're going to talk about some of the additives that are in our wine today causing major issues and the type of wine you can consume, even if you're on a keto or a paleo diet and still enjoy. So I brought in the expert in the field to talk about this. Todd, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. Got a few dirty, dark secrets of the wine business to talk about and everything keto and wine and sugar and alcohol. So ready to get started.
1: I love it. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. So I know, you know, fermented drinks, wine has been consumed probably, you know, 6,000 years or more, so a really long time. Uh, But the majority of wines today are not created in the same way that they've been created through a majority of history. Walk us through really the big difference today. And also, how did you stumble upon this personally? And why has this become such a passion of yours?
0: Well, I, you know, in the beginning, I was just looking for a healthier way to drink, right? And we'll talk about alcohol and what's wrong with alcohol and what can be right with alcohol in a moment. But you know, you mentioned that wine's been made and consumed for thousands and thousands of years, somewhere between six and nine thousand years. Grapevines have been growing on the planet for nine thousand years. Wines have been made in the same fashion for thousands of years, and you know, the Stoics were drinking wine, the Greeks, and this this has been. Europeans have been making wine for over 3,000 years. So, but here's what happened to wine. The same thing that happened to our food supply. It's about Wall Street money, cheap money, and greed. So the same thing that happened in our food supply happened in our wine supply. So natural wine, which is what we drink and sell, and that's a confusing term to consumers because I say I drink natural wine, they're like, aren't all wines natural? And they're not for reasons that we're going to describe. In fact, it makes up less than one-tenth of one percent of the wines in the world that are natural. And that's a very specific farming and fermentation practice. And we'll talk about what that means. But let me get back to the central problem, which is money and greed. What happened in the wine industry? The wine industry, using Wall Street money, public money, consolidated the industry. And so this started happening 20 or 30 years ago. And these mega, mega conglomerates, and by the way, everything I'm gonna share with you is easily verifiable from a Google search. So this is not my opinion. This is not marketing speak, these are facts. So it begins with this consolidation and this corporate greed fact. The top three wine companies in the United States, multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates, make over 50% of US wines, and the top 30 companies make over 70% of U.S. wine. So when you go in the grocery store or the bottle shop and you see these hundreds of thousands of bottles lying down on a long shelf, most of those wines are made by just a handful of people. They don't want you to know that. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. I'm just describing to you what the problem is and how we got there. These people are not trying to make wine better or healthier. They're trying to make it cheaper and faster. And so in order to do that, in this large volume, in these wine factories. Now they put animals and farmhouses and chateaus on the label to think that you're drinking from this cute place, this little farmhouse. In fact, you're very likely drinking from massive wine factories that are located in the Central Valley of California. These are just facts. So we, in my pursuit of trying to find a healthier way to drink, I stumbled upon natural wines. And so that and so, again, consumers say, well, aren't all wines natural? Well, no, here's the problem. In addition to these factories, in order to make wine this way, you've got to use chemicals and additives to make wine in these volumes and to make it safely for the winemaker, meaning to avoid bacteria that wine is filled with bacteria, to avoid bacterias that cause faults in wine. The most common ones called Bratomyces, and we'll get back to that in a moment. So... How do you make wine safely for the winemaker? You use chemicals and additives. There are 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Some of them are natural. Some of them are toxic. The problem is because the wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money to keep contents labeling and nutritional information off of wine bottles, you have no idea what you're drinking unless you're buying it from a trusted source like us, right? who vet farmers and do lab testing and so on and so forth but so you have no idea what your dream is the wine industry intentionally has been successful and will continue to be successful very likely in keeping contents and nutritional information off of wine so you don't know how many carbs or sugar or whatever it is that you track in your particular for me it's sugar like I'm just anti-rabidly against sugar and I believe that most chronic health disease Is the result of a hyperproduction of insulin from elevated blood glucose. That's my personal belief.
1: Therefore, I don't drink sugar. But anyway, that's sort of how we got to the problem. Yeah, I mean it makes it it makes total sense. And so, and, and listen, this has happened, this is the wine supply chain. This is also the food supply chain, right? You look at all food, you have these big conglomerates come in and we're manufacturing things. This hasn't only happened to wine, it's happened, of course, to things like uh, look at soy, like, look at soybeans, look at corn, look at wheat, look at what we've done and actually changing what nature did. And, you know, and, and, and putting our own, you know, whether it's hybridization, whether it's genetic modification, you know, similar thing in the wine industry, we're changing the way, you know, obviously I'm going to let you talk about that. I was going to talk about some of the overwatering and the things we do there, but it's, you know, obviously we're changing the way these things naturally grow. We're getting excess sugar and you're right. Sugar is the root of most health problems because it's inflammatory, it just changes your gut microbiome. It also causes hormones like cortisol to get out of balance, insulin, all kinds of issues. So you're right on there. Before I go into my next question, which is, describe to me the type of farming it takes to create what is typically, what is known as a dry farm wine. Who are some of the people that my audience who's very into the natural health industry, who are some of the other people that they might know who use these wines on a regular basis. Now I know you've got celebrities like Holly Berry and, and other w- well-known, you know, celebrities, but who are some of the natural health people who who are currently, you know, subscribing to this this uh, using using dried farm wines?
0: Well, I mean, there's a long list, uh, thousands actually, but some yeah. of the ones that you may readily know that kind of come to the top of the list are Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. David Perlmutter, both of them, New yeah. York Times bestselling authors. Yeah. Dr. Hyman has; needs no introduction. Neither does Dr. Perlmutter, Mark Sisson, who's kind of the godfather of paleo. Yeah. Uh, J.J. Virgin, Wellness Mama, Katie Spears. The list is uh, Mind Body Green. The list is super, super long. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, and we've been featured in over, I mean, 300 mainstream press outlets like Full Page and Oprah Magazine, Martha Stewart's Living, uh, Forbes. Uh, Bloomberg, CBS, NBC, Washington Post, New York Times, so on and so forth as people who love our wine uh, for very good reasons. It tastes different. It tastes better. It also, you feel better, and, um, and, and so the product sort of speaks for itself once people have the experience with it as you and your wife have.
1: Yeah. Right. To, to, to talk to me now about the, the, the farming, because that's a huge part of this. You know, I mean, you and I have talked about this. I have such a passion in my business partner, Jordan Rubin, for regenerative agriculture, healing the planet and growing things to where they're the most nutrient dense, the healthiest possible for us to consume. Talk to us about the difference in the way that you farm in water versus the way a lot of other, you know, wineries are doing this.
0: Well, here's the thing. It, one of the problems with farming begins with irrigation, So the name of our company Dry Farm Wines means that we don't allow uh, any irrigation to be used in the farming of grapevines. Now the problem and the reason we don't sell domestic wine as you know all of our wines are imported from around the world because natural winemaking and particularly irrigation free wine growing in the United States is practically zero. It's less than one percent of all U.S. vineyards are unirrigated. Now you irrigate Which has a whole bunch of problems associated with it. Just in the vineyards that we farm around the world, we save over a billion gallons of water a year from not irrigating. So irrigation is bad for the planet, it's bad for the vine, and ultimately it produces a lower quality fruit. I'm going to get to the other farming in a minute, but irrigation is a very big issue. So it might not surprise you that the reason you irrigate is to make grapes bigger higher yield, and fruit that weighs more. It might not also surprise you that when you fill a grape berry with water it weighs more. And guess what, weight sold, fruit is sold by the ton. More it weighs, more it's worth. Also when you irrigate and you use nitrogen, which to feed the vine, you end up with a larger yield, that's the size of the cluster, and fruit that weighs more. Now the problems associated with that is that you have fruit that is less nutrient dense. You have fruit that has less character, both of which are impacted by the infusion of water. Common sense will tell you that. But on the nutrient, on the nutrient side, you've created a lazy vine. So see, na- nature for a couple billion years had all this figured out. So nature knows, and there's no dispute in the wine-growing industry, whether you're talking about conventional wines or natural wines, there's no dispute that a vine that struggles against its neighbor and struggles to survive and produce fruit produces a higher quality fruit. There's no dispute about that from anyone. It's also one of the reasons that grapevines are planted close together, right? So they struggle with one another to produce the highest quality fruit. The grapevine doesn't care anything about making wine. The grapevine wants to produce the very best fruit to have the bird eat the fruit, to drop the seed, to propagate more vines. That is the purpose of the vine, right? And so if it competes with this neighbor, this produces a higher quality fruit. One is also more du- nutrient-dense, as does organic farming produce a more nutrient-dense grape. Why do you irrigate a grapevine? Because it's cheaper, easier, and faster to grow food. So one other thing about the irrigation process is really important. It, and again, none of this is high-level science. This is mainly common sense. So a grapevine that is irrigated has a root structure that's about three feet in diameter and about three feet deep, four feet deep. An unirrigated grapevine, because it gets all of its water and nutrient from a little, little tube above the trunk that just drips down on it, right? So lazy vine. Roots aren't going anywhere because they don't need to. An unirrigated grapevine at maturity can have a root structure that can span 30 or 40 feet, right? And these tiny capillary-like roots are just like this, like hair, right? And they're constantly moving about in search for nutrient and moisture breaking up pieces of soil and mineral and rock looking for tiny pieces of just tiny fractions of moisture and nutrient this produces a much more nutrient-dense grape in addition to a grape of much higher quality so here's the other problem with irrigation then we'll go on to to farming uh, or the rest of farming here's the other problem with irrigation again common sense will tell you this is true when you irrigate a grapevine and the technique is to water it later at the ripening phase, right? That's when you get bigger, plumper berries. The problem with that is when you fill the berry with water, you dilute the flavor. Therefore, the problem with that is that in all in order to get proper flavoring at the time of harvest, you must harvest later with higher sugar. And the higher the sugar, equals the higher the corresponding alcohol level so alcohol levels have been rising in wine steadily over the last 30 or 40 years now the wine industry likes alcohol
1: and, and by the way like we can tell this right anytime i look at the wine bottles that i'm doing from dry farm wines you typically i'm typically seeing in between 12 13 somewhere in that alcohol range 12 and a half a lot of times and sometimes lower but when i'm looking at some of these other bottles it's 14 sometimes 15 percent A lot of these big cabs especially out of California you're seeing very high levels of alcohol that's that's right right
0: yeah you do and 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 here's the here's the issue so we don't sell anything over 12 and a half and as low as 6% most of the wines I drink are between 10 and 11% because that's the taste of wine that I like I don't love alcohol yeah I do love wine I just don't love alcohol let's talk about alcohol for just a moment while we're on this point before we come back to the farming look alcohol And it surprises people who think I'm here to sell wine, right? And I'm not really, I'm here to educate people. If you decide to drink, here's how you should think about drinking in my view, based on the facts I have shared with you, right? Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. It surprises people to hear me say that. And it ruins millions of lives a year. And some people shouldn't drink at all. And if you don't drink, I don't advocate that you should start. However, if you do drink, and you want to continue drinking, then I think you should have a consciousness about how you think about that. And one, that means lowering the alcohol, two, getting rid of the sugar, and all of the other chemical aspects that that have to do with, with the farming processes. But alcohol can be good in moderate amounts. It can be very bad in excessive amounts. And the wine industry loves alcohol because there are two main reasons. Alcohol is addictive and alcohol is what I call a domino drug. What I mean by that is the more you drink, the more likely you are to drink more. So the higher the alcohol, the higher corresponding more you're likely to drink. Now here's the problem. One other area where the government and the wine industry are in collusion. Again, here's another problem. The alcohol stated on a wine bottle, and most people don't even look. It averages around 15% in the United States today. But the the amount stated on the bottle by law, is not required to be accurate. So if it reads 14%, really? it can be as high as 15.5% and still be legal. Wow. And there's a reason for that, because back in the post-prohibition era when these all these laws were written, very little has been updated in alcohol law since the 1940s. And the way the system is rigged and set up between the government and the distributors also makes it very difficult to get the right wines at retail. It's called the three-tier system. That's another setup with the government. But so small family farmers can't get wine into retail because the, these channels of distribution are owned by these century, you know, these multi-generational distributing companies who have all the power to place wines at retail, and, and so you, you, it gives you a lot less choice at retail for what you are drinking. But this law that allows this fudging period in the amount of alcohol goes back to the 1940s when labs did not always produce a consistent alcohol testing between labs. You could get one lab and alcohol would show a little bit lower or higher than the other lab. But today, technology is very sophisticated, it's very exacting, and the law could be changed to require the label to be accurate, but the wine industry doesn't want that, right? So... This is, there's there's a lot going on in the background that just nobody was talking about. I've told a few million people now through podcasts like yours and other interviews. But, you know, it's really important to, to, to understand if you're going to drink wine. And again, if you don't drink, I don't suggest, I'm not here to advocate that you begin. But if you're going to drink, you should be more conscious and thoughtful about how you're drinking. Finally, to wrap up on the farming Natural wines are always organic or biodynamically farmed. In our case, they're also irrigation-free. That's not a requirement of natural wines, although most natural wines are irrigation-free, excepting the ones in the United States. So there's chemical-free farming. uh, Biodynamic farming, for those who don't know, biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. And in our case, and in the case of all natural wines, these are grown on very small family farms. And the reason that's important is I like to think of organic as the family farm organic, but then there's the kind of big organic as well. And I describe this to people because this really matters. When you go to the farmer's market and you see small family farms that are presenting their vegetables and fruits there, and you look at them and they're so vibrant and so beautiful, right? I mean, they're just teeming with color and texture. And you oftentimes, if you're like me and you're at the farmer's market, you will photograph these vegetables sometimes because it's so beautiful, right? But then you go to the organic section of your grocery store and they don't look like that,
1: Yeah,
0: right? That's the difference between the love and the living soil that is the family farm, just the love and the spirit. And commitment that's different from what i call industrial organic does that make sense
1: it makes total sense yeah well when you are you know we have people that listen that i know we have a lot of people that love food they love cooking at home and so i know they're going to be excited to get dry farm wines by the way anyone listening i think we've got a code here i will share with you at the end for anybody who wants to uh get a uh, essentially a discount and this is what you know chelsea and i this is again where we order our wine so i wanted to make sure i was able to uh, share this with everybody here. We have a, an area where you can get a uh, an extra bottle for I think it's like a penny. And so you can go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash Dr. Axe. So dryfarmwines.com forward slash D-R-A-X-E. So dryfarmwines.com forward slash Dr. Axe. You can get a dry farm wine bundle, and then get in one extra bottle for just a penny, and try what myself and Chelsea and all these health experts, Mark Hyman, David Perlmutter, some other friends of mine, get on a regular basis. You know, I'd love to hear from you. Let's talk a little, just a bit about wine. What are some of your favorite wines you have sourced? What areas of the country are they from? What do you love to pair with? Let's talk. I mean, I know we're talking about natural wine here, but talk to me about just wine in general. Some of your favorite wines and things you love and some some things people can enjoy
0: you know I tend to drink personally because of the way I eat so I'm I'm on what I would call a modified ketogenic program I have been therapeutically ketogenic before for several years but now uh, I also eat once per day so I do 22-hour intermittent fasting for like the last five years wow and so I and my staff, I think another reason we have a lot of credibility in the health world is because we actually walk the walk that we talk, right? So we're very authentic about this and we care about what we drink as much as we care about what we eat. But for my wine selection, because of how I eat, I tend to favor lower alcohol, light skin grapes like Pinot Noir or Pinot Denis, Schiava from Italy, Uh, Trousseau from, these are all ancestral grapes most people have never heard of because they're not the big eight. The big eight are what commercial wines are made out of. Savion Blanc, Chardonnay, Cabernet, Merlot, Syrah. These are the well-known varietals that the big wine companies grow. And so we, many of the grapes, there are thousands of varietals of grapes in the world and Many of the ones that natural wines feature are what we call ancestral grape, right? So they're ancestrally native to the region for centuries uh, from which they're grown. Pinot Denis is a great example, Schiave in Italy, Trousseau from France. I tend to prefer these lighter wines because I eat this way, right? So I eat a fresher, lighter approach to my cuisine. And so as a result, I drink the same way is that, so I, pref- you know, I, I eat a very, very whole real food diet Yeah. that, and yeah. even though I only eat once a day, I'm like a taste fanatic, right? Like, I, like I love food. It's just that my body is trained and my mind is trained to only eat once a day and I don't think about eating, but when I do think about eating, I think a lot about it, right? Yeah. So super oh, yeah. interested in flavors.
1: Can I, can I tell you, I'm just going to say for one, I do want to mention this too. One of the things I love that you and your team do is you'll send out these really special wines once in a while. So we got one last year, that elderberry wine uh, that right. you did. And so we had a couple of bottles of that and it was lower alcohol, right? It was maybe 7%. 7% right. Yeah. And, uh, but we love that. I mean, we absolutely love that. So that elderberry wine, which anyways, keep going, but that was one of the best. We yeah. Really so, loved I that. mean, that's
0: what like it's just such a great example. It was an innovation from Austrian farmers that a young couple, they act, who are quite well known for their natural sparkling wine, and the elderflower tea wine is sparkling as well. Uh, it's a very light sparkling, a very small bubble, kind of creamy, quite delicious. Yeah. They came to us a few years ago when we were in Austria visiting their farm, the fourth generation wine growers, and the grandfather and the father were there, and the young son who was like in his late 20s married to uh, a girl and they were she was they were planning on having a family and so they said hey we made this ultra low alcohol we know you guys don't favor alcohol would you like to taste it we just made some for my wife so she can drink a little bit when she's in her pregnancy and so but you like to taste it? we're like sure so we tasted this seven percent what six to seven percent Uh, low alcohol sparkling wine it was delicious right remember I don't love alcohol I love wine yeah and it was it was just terrific so we featured it for the first time last year and again this year in limited quantities so we do a number of these special programs where you know it's not available on our website it's not available they're just promotions that we do throughout the months of kind of special things that we find
1: you know, one of the things Chelsea and I love to do as well is, I mean, we, we, we love doing, you know, food nights. And so with that elderberry wine, you know, we we got out a cheese board, some different cheeses, you know, charcuterie and and, and just enjoyed that with it. And we do that with a lot of these wines. You know, anytime we have a wine from Italy, you know, we'll uh, we'll sit there and we typically just have a glass each. I mean, that's typically typically it when we do, but we'll sit there and, you know, we'll talk about, Hey, remember when we were in Florence and remember when we were in a coast or, you know, Cinque Terre and, you know, some of the other areas. And so one of the things I think about with wine and why I appreciate what you do is wine and food. I mean, it's a time for communion connection. It's a time for memories and talking about these things. And so anyways, I love, uh, you know, we, we, we love sitting back and enjoying these things and doing it in a healthy way, a natural way. You know, talk about this again, just as, just in just a few points. And so one of the things I love is that, again, you have, you know, such a low degree, like a minuscule amount of sugar in your wines versus th- their higher amounts in other wines. Talk to us just really about the differences. I know a lot of people and patients I've worked with in the past who would get headaches from sulfites. You know, they would, they would get a lot of flushing of their face and issues there. And I would get the same thing. I would get flushing when I would do a wine, even if it was actually organic sometimes, which is crazy. You know, I thought it was an organic natural wine. I would still get these reactions until I started using some of your dry farm wines.
0: Well, the confusing to further confuse you. All natural wines are always organic. Not all organic wines are natural. So it can be an organic wine, but still contain additives. Still contain GMO yeast, still contain sugar. And sugar and alcohol are particularly nasty partners. Now, you'll know this to be true because if you've ever had a couple of shots of tequila, say with salt and lime or whatever, or versus having two margaritas, the impact on how you feel, both while drinking it and afterwards, is substantially worse when you add the sugar. Yeah. Substantially worse. So our wines are sugar-free. All of our wines are lab-tested by us. We've already put sugar in its place, but I don't like sugar. The single question we get is, how are wines sugar-free? Don't they have sugar in the juice? And so that's one of the most common questions, and yes, they do. And sugar is quite prevalent in wines. It's not added to wines. I'll tell you how it gets in wine, and it's an intentional style and act of the winemaker, so here's how you make wine and how it becomes sugar-free or not. When you make wine, you press the juice from the, skin, from the berries. That juice goes over into a tank and you ferment it either with the wild native indigenous yeast, which is already contained on the skin of the grape. That's how natural wines are made. Or in a commercial wine, you inoculate it with a GMO lab cultured yeast. And the reason you do that is because these native yeasts that live on the skin of the grape At the time of harvest, all grape berries have native yeast. It's collected indigenously through the vineyard where the fruit is grown. But it's difficult to work with. It's a wild, fragile sort of yeast. And it it doesn't, you can't make wine in very large volumes. It requires a lot of attention and coddling. So conventional winemakers don't use it. They kill it and then inoculate it with GMO yeast, which is modified to be strong, sturdy, easy to work with. And you can buy it in flavor profiles, so on and so forth. So, but. And I want to get back in a moment to something you touched on before we wrap up about about drinking wine and, and how it takes you back to memories around the world, right? I think of Italy as an example. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But So the natural wines are made in this way that is totally and completely natural, right? Without this kind of intervention. But... So you press the berry, you press the juice from the berry, it runs over into a tank. It starts to ferment, whether you use indigenous yeast or lab-cultured yeast. It's fermenting. There's a little device, it's very, actually a very academic and simple device that hangs on the side of the tank, inside the wine, and it tells the winemaker at any given time how much sugar is left in the wine. So when you make wine, the yeast activates, and the yeast is like a Pac-Man, the yeast is eating sugar as its food source. The byproduct of that is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you make wine. That's how that's what happens in the fermentation process. Now remember you got this little device telling you how much sugar is left in that fermentation process. How much sugar is left for the yeast to eat. In a fully fermented, that's the case with our wines, in a fully fermented wine it will be sugar-free because the yeast will eat 100 percent of the available sugar and then the yeast will die from a lack of food source and become what are known as lees. That's dead dead yeast that settles on the bottom of the tank. So in this process the winemaker, as a matter of style, can kill the yeast using sulfur dioxide. If they choose to kill the yeast before the fermentation is complete, you end up with what's known as residual sugar or RS in the industry. In the winemaking industry, it's commonly referred to as RS. Leaving residual sugar behind is how sugar gets in wine. It's not added to wine. It's left from the natural sugars in the grape juice. Sugar, sugar, we lab tested. Our wines are sugar-free so because they've been fully fermented. Now, to give you an idea of how widespread this problem is, we consider wines to be, and the government as well. not I have a lot of trust in them, but statistically, wine is sugar-free at less than a liter per ga- uh, uh, less than one gram of sugar per liter. Now, a wine bottle is 750 milliliters, so it's not even a liter. So, less than one gram. Most so at the drink at the serving level, that's statistically irrelevant and sugar-free, and the government considers it sugar-free which is why they allow us to say that our wines are sugar-free legally is because they are. But we lab tested, so we have the standard of less than one gram per liter, which is sugar-free. We did lab testing last year on the top 20 best-selling wines in America. That information is readily available on the internet. Of the top 20 wines we lab tested for sugar, only two of them met our standard for sugar-free. All the rest of them did not qualify. So only 10% of the wines we tested met our criteria for sugar-free. And these top-selling wines tend to be higher in sugar as well, right? Yeah. Because that's what appeals to the masses.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I, I uh, And this is one of the things I appreciate about you, you all. Is you guys are going to the lengths of sourcing wines from places that you test from all around the world and following these sort of ancient principles for Uh, you know, consuming things that are natural and have great benefits to us. So I absolutely love this. Uh, Any any closing thoughts here just about wine, about enjoying dry farm wines? that you want to share with us, Todd? Anything I didn't ask that I should have? Well,
0: I I think wine, natural wines, I I don't drink conventional wines. And the flushness that you were talking about earlier comes from a couple of different things, elevated sulfites, or it can also come quite commonly, especially for women, and elevated uh biogenetic amines, the two primary offenders of histamine and tyramine, mm. and found commonly found in conventional wines because of the way that they're made. We don't have time to get into that why they're elevated, but they're oftentimes elevated in these uh, biogenetic amines. But, you know, when I think of wine in less technical terms or less health terms, I think of drinking natural wine in the way that it elevates a gentle euphoria, the that it rolls down that window of vulnerability. It allows us to be seen and see others in a way that is more loving. Yeah. It, you know, as you mentioned about traveling around the world, and I think of this a lot about being in Italy especially, because Italian wines have a very distinct um, – each country in Tawar is is known in France, which is which represents in grape farming or in the taste of wine, Tauroir is the – It means of the earth from where the grape is grown, so the grape tastes like the place, right? And and natural wine farmers talk a lot about the spirit of place and the connected source of energy that is all of nature, right? And so because the natural wine grower is not intervening, isn't intervening in nature's perfect path with chemicals or irrigation or most when you go to a natural wine farm unlike what you see if you traveled around the United States you won't see this is that you'll see grasses growing up sometimes Chester it looks like a forest right and they're wildflowers the the natural farmer wants insects into the vineyard the natural farmer also doesn't plow in this traditional way of turning the earth up because when you do when you turn the earth up from plowing you expose millions of organisms that are living just below the earth to the sun, which kills
1: them. Yeah, right. And plus, what it does with carbon levels—you know, you know, the tilling and everything—yeah, it's. So, but I, when I think about Tawar and I think about the
0: place and wine tasting of a place, and all you know, Germany, South Africa, South America, uh, all across Europe, they all have a distinct taste from place. But Italy, to me is one of the most distinctive it's also my favorite country to travel to in europe so i have a ton of friends in italy i go to the amalfi coast every summer i spend you know usually a month or six weeks in italy throughout throughout the growing season traveling to see farmers and making some other favorite stops in italy but italian wines have a very distinct flavor profile and so when i'm drinking those at home it always reminds me of being in italy Oh yeah. You know, so it's it's kind of a wonderful thing. But you know, wine, I don't drink wine during the daytime. I don't recommend it other people do either. I always, as you know, I don't even eat in the daytime. So but it's something that's around the dinner table or a fireside or, you know, after dinner just easing into the night. It's just such a loving way to kind of connect with friends and family.
1: It is. We were just uh recently watching some uh some past, you know, videos of us there and looking at pictures of Italy. We actually are gonna bring my my in-laws and some family members and our daughter for the first time here, we're going to do a trip to Europe and spend a little time in Italy, likely here coming up soon. And uh, anyways, we just, we, we just love the, uh, yeah, just, just love, have such fond memories of, of being in Italy and going there. And uh, one of the other things just to mention for everybody, you know, I, I do think as Todd mentioned earlier, looking at those alcohol levels and in a very small amount can have health benefits. You go over even a glass, that's when it really starts to, you start to burden your liver. That's when you start to burden a lot of these organs in your body. And if you do drink, one of the things, the biggest side effects of alcohol and sugar, both is going to be dehydration. And so really making sure your body's hydrated and the organ it's going to most tax is going to be the liver. So with the liver being taxed, the liver sort of imagine part of it of its fuel being B vitamins. So you want to make sure you're getting electrolytes, lots of water, and extra B vitamins, and there are herbals, especially herbs like milk thistle that can kind of support your liver as well. If you have one glass, too many, just for everybody to just sort of know there. You can do a B complex, some electrolytes, and loads of water and things like milk thistle to support or a liver cleanse supplement, something like that to support your liver. But uh Todd, I appreciate you coming on. I want to mention this again for everybody out there listening. You know, Chelsea and I have, I would say probably two-thirds of our wines that we have at our house and we have a big wine wine closet are dry farm wines directly from 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 and so if anybody wants to try these wines you can go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash dr axe that's d-r-a-x-e and they have a wine offering where you get an extra bottle with your order for a penny and i think this is something we love we're actually on auto ship and so we just sort of get regular shipments from uh, from 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 you and your team, and it's always fun because the thing I love too is there different wines almost every time. Now, if you want to go and change up your wines, you want to get more white right whites or you reds can customize or, it any way you, you want. It. But the, the yeah. great
0: thing, we'll customize anything you want. But the great thing about taking this curated selection is you're you're tasting wines that you would n- never otherwise have exposure to or even think to buy because you don't know what they are. Yes, right. Yeah, and, and so and- it's it's just an amazing way to just broaden your palate and have fun traveling around the world without leaving home.
1: Totally. And we've hardly had a bad wine yet. I mean, if you compare that to just going and shopping yourself, it's not even close. I mean, again, the wines are, are, are great. So again, we love them and we, we are so appreciative of Utah and your team and what you've done to just bring these natural wines to us and get us access to these because in America, especially it's very hard to even have access and nowhere to even find these types of wines. So just know I'm grateful for you. Thanks for, uh, for all you do.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me today. It was a great time.
1: All right. Hey, thanks everybody again. Big thanks here to Todd White from Dry Farm Wines. Hey, check it out. Enjoy. And uh, I can't wait to be back here soon again with another uh, health podcast. Again with my co-host. I know you're listening to a lot of Dr. Chris Motley and Courtney Bersich as well. I hope you guys have enjoying all the podcasts. Thanks again.